Luke, the historian, writes in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after Jesus rose from the dead, he presented himself to his disciples, giving many convincing proofs he was alive. And one of those encounters we're going to look at this morning because it includes a little-known disciple, a follower of Jesus named Cleopas. In fact, if Luke hadn't recorded this encounter in his gospel, chapter 24, we would have never even heard of Cleopas. And uh, I think that's important because as we've been talking over the last several weeks about those who are seldom mentioned in the New Testament, yet experience the power of Christ in their life, and Christ used them to have an impact in their day and in their community and the people around them. It's important for us today because uh, I don't know about you, but uh, even though I'm the pastor here at the church, I just feel like I'm, you know, I'm not that big a deal. I'm not well known. Can Jesus make a difference in my life? And the answer is yes. And if he can make a difference in my life, he certainly can make a difference in your life. And he wants to use you, even if you feel unknown by many people. He loves you, and he wants to use you in his service. And that's what we learned from this encounter with Cleopas. In fact, you know how I am with nicknaming uh, some of these uh, disciples that have names different than us. So I'm going to refer to him today often on as Cleo. And I'm going to do a little play on words to help you remember this story, because Cleo was walking on a path on a roadway back to his home. So that's why I entitled the message today, Walking Cleo's Path. Because the thing that Cleo went through as he left Jerusalem and was heading home is really kind of an encounter that if we're honest with ourselves, we all walk that same path at times, not literally physically, but spiritually and in our thought process. So let's take a look at this account and we'll dig into it a little more. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And by the way, I don't have the verses on the screen, just the reference. So I encourage you to follow along as best you can in, in whatever Bible app or Bible version that you use. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. What was the day? Well, we're going to see as we read a little bit further. It was the same day that Christ rose from the dead. Verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. This is one of those mysteries. It's just interesting. Jesus seemed to do this at his resurrection, and we're not sure why. We don't know if it's because in his glorified body, he had a different kind of an appearance. Now, there was things about him that was familiar, but yet there was also something about his appearance that was different. And that gives us a glimpse, too, of what our resurrected bodies will be like one of these days when God ushers in his kingdom and recreates everything, and, and we'll have new bodies, you know, again, I, I know it's obvious, but, you know, I hope maybe I'll have a little more hair at that point, maybe, maybe a few less wrinkles or whatever, but, you know, what, whatever concerns you have about your body now just know it's, it's going to be good in the future. But here's what um, Jesus did have in his body, though, that remained. He still had the scars in his hands and his feet and in his side from the spear that pierced his body. And I believe that God 
wanted Jesus to remain having those things so again we could be reminded of what he has done for us and his love for us. Be that as it may, and maybe it was just something where mentally, spiritually, they were blocked from recognizing it was Jesus. But I think that's important because as we go on through this, I want you to think about it. I think there are times in your life and my life that Jesus comes alongside us through His Holy Spirit, and He interacts with us in ways that maybe at first we don't really recognize until later, and then we look back and we go, oh my gosh, that was God's hand in that, or that was when I was encountering the love of Christ in those moments, because He does work through people, and He works through circumstances and events. So be that as it may, let's pick it up, verse 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? Jesus asked. I love that. He just kind of played along with it, you know. Well, tell me more. What, what have I not heard about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all that took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went out to the tomb this morning, but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, here's something that we really need to remember because in our culture today and society, we've gotten so used to being able to read and write and read. Uh, we have numerous copies and ways of reading the Word of God and understanding it and hearing people talk about it. But back then, they did not have all of this. The printing press hadn't even been invented at this point. So any copies they had of anything had to be done by scribes who had a meticulous way of hand copying those manuscripts to make sure it was accurate. And I don't want to get too much on a sidetrack because some people have said, you know, how can we trust what we have today? How do we know it, it was accurate for back then? Kind of like that game telephone, you know, when you start and one thing is said and repeated and by the time it gets around to the circle and it comes back to you, it has a total different meaning. Well, I want you to know that the scriptures were meticulously uh, copied by the scribes, so much so that when it was proofread, if there was one mistake on the page, the whole page had to be thrown out and they had to start over again. They also had methods that they did, instead of going like left to right, they would go the opposite direction because they wanted to make sure every character was correct. And then if that were not enough, back in uh, the mid-1900s, somewhere around 1950, I'm just ballparking it here, but there was an amazing discovery made in Qumran over uh, in Palestine area near the Dead Sea. It's referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And those particular manuscripts that were discovered in caves in clay jars were, contained copies of the Old Testament scriptures that dated back a thousand years before the latest manuscripts that we had at that point. 
And so when a lot of people were saying, well, how do we know the Bible is accurate today that we have? Well, when they compared it to those scrolls that were dated back a thousand years before that, there was hardly any difference at all. That was a huge find because it gave us assurance that the Word of God that we have today is the same as it was back then. So that was for free today. I didn't really intend to getting in all that. But here's the thing. They did not have the um, ab ability to read the Scriptures. They had to depend on the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the rabbis. And so the rabbis were the ones responsible for teaching. And if the rabbis didn't teach all of this, then the people just didn't know. So this is why Jesus was giving them an opportunity to learn from him the fullness of his word. And that's why it says, beginning with Moses, that would be the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then all the rest of the Old Testament writings, that was referred to as the prophets, he began to explain what all of that said and meant about this Messiah who would come, of, of course, who he was. Now, remember, this was a seven-mile walk, so they had plenty of time as they were walking to have this conversation. The Bible doesn't tell us at what point Jesus approached them, but I believe it was somewhere not far outside of Jerusalem. They probably weren't very far along on their way when Jesus kind of joined up with them and began to have this conversation. So on that entire track, they had plenty of time for Jesus to expound and explain about all the things that the Bible says about Messiah and about the fact that he would suffer and die and rise again. Isaiah 53 is a passage that we can look at today in the Old Testament that definitely points to Messiah as being one who would die and give his life for the sins of the people and Toward the end of Isaiah 53, there's even kind of this allusion or this reference to, to him being alive again in the great assembly. So in verse 28, we'll pick it up there. It says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. So now they've had this long journey. Jesus is kind of, and they still don't know this is Jesus yet at this point. They just think, wow, this guy really knows a lot about the scripture but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. This is key. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> That's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like the whole time when they didn't know him, he was walking with them and interacting with them. And then in the moment when they recognized who he was, poof, he disappeared. And again, this was something about his resurrected body that's mysterious. It was fully uh, physical because he ate uh, food and he showed them that he wasn't just a ghost floating around. And yet he had these miraculous powers where he could be one place and then, in an, and, and then a moment later be in another place. These are things that are beyond our understanding and yet this is what the early disciples experienced about him. And I think that's why sometimes even the early disciples, when they interacted with him, it seemed too good to be true. They were like, you know, how can this be? We're not, we're not getting this. this. This is so different than what we imagined it would be. So once they recognized Christ doing this, because obviously it brought back memories of when they were probably with him at the Last Supper, at the Passover feast, 
when he was gathered with not only the 12, but I'm sure other disciples who were following as well, as many as they could fit into that upper room. And they remembered how Jesus did that at the Passover meal. And so when he did this in their home, just breaking the bread and, and giving thanks and blessing it and then giving it to him, they recognized this is him, this is Jesus. So verse 32, it says, then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Again, explaining to them what the scriptures mean. I think it's important today as you hear the word of God being taught that you pray and ask God to open your understanding. It's important for me. I pray uh, not only as I'm preparing, but I pray before I stand before you to speak that God would guide me by his Holy Spirit because I don't want to teach anything in error or mislead anyone. And so I'm praying and asking God, help me to teach in a way that would open our understanding uh, to, to receive you and to live in the way that you would want us to and to honor you with our lives. So, but they said that their hearts were burning. In other words, they just felt warm inside. They, they felt the presence of God, and it was hard for them to explain that feeling. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. This tells us that Cleopas and this other disciple who was with them, we don't know if it was Cleopas's wife, we don't know if it was a close friend uh, or relative, but we do know that um, they apparently were with the other disciples because they knew where the disciples were in hiding. Remember, when Christ was crucified by the Roman government, all of his followers went into hiding because they're like, if, if they did that to our leader, what are they going to do to us? And they were very fearful. And this also is one of the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it is a reality because something had to happen to give these people who were in fear for what the government would go, was going to do to them, maybe even put them to death. Something changed them from being a people that went into hiding to a people confident enough to go out and tell everybody about Jesus and, and basically say, even if we have to die doing this, we've got to tell you this because it's the truth. And it was because they had seen Christ alive after death. They knew that his promises for life after death were real and were true. So they found where the 11 uh, were and assembled together and sang, it's true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. This is what the other disciples were saying to Cleopas and the other friend that was with him. They're saying, yeah, yeah, we've heard the reports and Simon has actually seen him. Verse 35, then they, Cleo and his friend, told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So here's what I want us to think about. If you're walking Cleo's path, maybe some of you here today or listening today are like Cleo was when he left Jerusalem. You're right now really discouraged in your journey of life. Uh, things haven't turned out the way that you thought it would. Maybe even some of your expectations and beliefs about God and how you thought God was or how he acts or something about Jesus that you don't fully understand. And actually, you're having like a crisis of belief. You're like, man, I don't even know if what I've been taught and raised, is this really true? This is what was going on with Cleo and his friend as they were leaving Jerusalem because all their expectations about Jesus, that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel and he was going to set up, remember, they were looking for a political leader. And now instead of a political leader, they had a dead leader that they had seen crucified. And the one who had healed people and been able to do everything to help everyone else couldn't even save himself and he was dead on the cross. Well, again, they didn't know the power of Christ and that he was going to conquer death, which is the ultimate victory. 
So they, in that moment, were in a crisis of belief. What about you? Again, maybe through things that you've experienced or things that you're seeing now in the culture or around you, you're disillusioned, you're disappointed. Maybe you're on that part of Cleo's path like he was. In verse 14, it says, Cleo and his friend were talking about these things. They were were discouraged. Then in verse 17, it says that their countenance, their faces were sad and downcast. Here's the thing. Jesus had already accomplished something on their behalf and was ready to give it to them, but they just hadn't experienced it yet. And I want to encourage you, if you're in that point of a crisis of belief or if you're in a point in your life now where you're having strong doubts because everything you thought about God or about Christ is not turning out the way that you thought, just understand this isn't the end of the story yet. And so sometimes we're living in this in-between time of our understanding of what God is doing and what God has already accomplished through Christ. Well, Jesus shows up and he gives them an opportunity to grow in their understanding. And that's what God does with us. Jesus is very patient with us. And so when Jesus approached them, he knew, he knew what their struggles were. And this is why I love the way he just comes along. And the first thing he did was he asked them to talk about how they were feeling. And so this is something that we learned from Cleo's uh, path that he's walking on is that Jesus absolutely cares about your doubts and your fears and your concerns. He cares about your faith struggles, and he joins us in that journey, sometimes in unexpected ways. The second thing that we learn is that he asked them questions specifically, and uh, he asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And of course, they told him, and they said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here? It's almost like they were insulting Jesus and they didn't even realize it. Well, again, Jesus understands uh, sometimes when we question him and sometimes we insult him, maybe without meaning through too. And then he says this, what things? So go ahead and put that next slide up. And here's the thing that God wants you to do. I think that we learn in this pathway that Cleo was walking. Jesus specifically was saying, I want you to tell me what's troubling you. And so they began to tell Jesus what was troubling them. Now, what is it when you talk to Jesus, what is that called? Or when you talk to God, what is that called? It's called prayer. (laughs) And so really, Jesus is modeling for us physically in this moment what he wants us to do now and for all generations is to talk to him, to pray. Sometimes we We make prayer into more than it really is, and sometimes we make it less than what it is. But prayer is an awesome opportunity that the God of the universe who created you and the one who died on the cross for your sins and rose again says, I want you to talk to me. You don't have to learn some flowery language. I understand the language you speak. I know every language in the entire world, and I understand all the dialects, and I understand what your heart is even trying to say that you don't have the words to say. Will you just, for crying out loud, talk to me? And sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to cry out loud and and just pray. So he wants to hear about your doubts and your concerns, and sometimes when we pray and we're honest with God about that, not sometimes, I believe all the time, when we're honest and we cry out to him, he will begin to guide us and to show us into the truth. That's exactly what Jesus did. After he listened to them, 
He did reprimand them a little bit, and it might seem a little harsh, but think about it. What were they focusing on? They admitted to Jesus, here was all of our expectations that Messiah would do this, and it didn't pan out, and he was crucified. Oh, my goodness. And then if that were not enough, there were people that said they went to the tomb and the body was gone, and and they had seen a vision of angels that said he was alive again. But what were they focusing on? Oh my gosh, things just didn't pan out the way we thought. Life is so terrible. And they were totally ignoring the, the, the witness and all the good news about that Jesus is alive. Now, before you think they're silly, just stop. Because how many of you go through life, oh, life is so terrible. It's, oh, it's just awesome. Well, God, where are you? And Sunday after Sunday, there are people who believe in Christ that give testimony of Christ changing their life. And we come and we sing praises to his name and we talk about what Christ has done in our life. And yet people don't even pay attention to that. It's just, oh, God, is, he must not be real. He's not done anything. You see, we're walking Cleo's path. And we need to have an experience with Christ like they did. But to do that, you've got to be willing to listen to what the Scriptures say about Messiah. That's why Jesus reprimanded him. He said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So God has given us a witness today in His Word. Time after time, He gives us the hope, a living hope. He gives us evidence of the resurrection. He gives us all these things. And yet many times, even us as followers of Jesus, we focus on the negative rather than focusing on the positive and the good news. That's why the song that we sang today, you you are good, you are good. We need to focus on how good God is because He does love us. So then Jesus began to explain what the Scriptures say so that their, their faith could be taken off of the negativity and put onto the positive things. And it's interesting that he still, even in that moment, didn't say, hey, here I am, it's me. He just kept walking with them because he's patient with us. So next, Jesus begins to transform their recognition of him. Um, and he does that through fellowship and worship and spending time together. So let's take a look at this in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. In other words, he didn't want to impose. He was giving them an opportunity to invite him in. He wasn't going to just hang out with them and barge in. This is the way God works. He waits for us to invite him into our lives. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. I I can't help but think, and I thought about that a lot as I read this this week and was preparing for the message, what would have happened if they hadn't invited him in? What would have happened if they hadn't invited him into their home? I mean, the logical conclusion is he would have went on his way, they would have had their dinner that night and had been like, you know, that was an interesting conversation we had with that guy. I wonder who he was. He sure seemed to know a whole lot. But no... Because they invited him in, and then they were able to spend even more intimate time emotionally and spiritually together, when they had that time of sharing a meal together and that fellowship, so to speak, that community time, all of a sudden they, oh my gosh, this is Jesus, it's the Lord, he is risen, he's right here with us. And then in the moment that they recognized that he disappeared, I believe it was because he felt like my work's done here. 
They now know they've had the convincing proof. Let's see if they're going to act now on their faith and go tell others about me. My work is done right now. And so he went on to the next people that he wanted to show many convincing proofs that he was alive. And that's what he did. Because of that, their recognition of Jesus, uh, was uh, it transformed their witness for him. And so that's the other thing that we learn from this path that Cleo walked. When we begin to truly recognize who Jesus is and what he offers to us in relationship, it should transform our witness. We should no longer be afraid to talk about him or worry about what somebody is going to think, but we talk about the goodness of Christ and we just leave it at that and let God work through our testimony and our witness. It says here in verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those who were with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What about you? Are you willing to talk to other people about what Jesus has done or is doing in your life right now? People need to hear it. I've got some folks that have told me that they want to share their testimony, and I think that's awesome. And so we're trying to work on that. We'd, we'd like to go ahead and video it because that way it, it's, a, it's in a venue that we could not only show here at the services, but it could be put online, those types of things, so that that witness that they're giving to the living, resurrected Christ and His power in their life can be heard by others, and it can encourage them and the various uh, circumstances of life that they go through. So this is a very brief message today, and I just want us to finish our time out by thinking about these questions. Where are you on Cleo's path? Um, are you struggling to understand God's plan for your life? You're not alone. Many of us have done that, myself included. Um, and not just before I came to Christ, even after I came to Christ, there's been times that I'm like, Lord, I don't understand what is going on, and am I missing it somehow? If you're struggling to understand God's plan for your life, it is important to talk to other people about it. Don't just hold it inside. Talk to somebody that you feel like you can trust, and especially it would be good to talk to someone who you have seen has a relationship with God that will listen and not judge you. That's really important. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is to talk to Jesus about it. Talk to God about it. Pray. Be honest. Say, Jesus, I'm really struggling here because I thought you were going to do this in my life and you didn't, and, and I'm, I'm just needing some help. Please help me understand. Do you need to understand Scriptures better? Because there was that point on the path, on the journey, where they needed to be taught by Jesus. Well, ask the Holy Spirit to help you as you read the Word or as you listen to teaching. Even like a message like today, pray for discernment that the teaching that you hear, pray and say, God, help me to understand and to recognize if this is really from you or if this is just something that somebody has made up or some weird kind of an idea. Pray for wisdom and understanding because Jesus says, seek and you will find, ask and it will be given to you, knock and the door will be opened to you. That's a promise from Jesus He's, and he knows your heart. If you really are seeking after it, he is not going to allow you to be deceived. He'll show you the truth. And that's a promise that comes from him and his Holy Spirit. Do you need to experience Jesus in worship? Well, you need to be on that part of Cleo's path where when Jesus was getting ready to go on, Cleo said, hey, 
Jesus, no, no, please come in, please come into our home. I want you to stay with me. Maybe you're on that journey where you've heard about Christ, uh, but you've never really opened up your heart and life to him. Oh, you say you believe in him, but you're, you, you're not acting on the belief. You come to church and it's a thing you check off. Well, I did that. Hey, I did one good thing in my life. And you go on living life the way that you want, your own selfish ways that are totally outside of what Christ would have for you. That's not inviting Jesus into your home. When you invite Jesus into your life, into your spirit, you're saying, Lord, come on in. I'm willing to let you rearrange the furniture and knock out walls and just remodel the whole place. In fact, if you want to just demolish it and rebuild, that'd be awesome. And that's what we need to do. If you're really going to experience Christ in your life, he will transform your life. But you need to be willing to invite him into every part of your life, your thought life, uh, your actions. You know, I think about this. What if you invited Jesus into your thought life to where every time you sit down in front of a screen, whether it's on your phone or laptop or whatever, or the, you know, movie screen, TV screen, whatever, and you imagine Jesus sitting right there next to you. The stuff that you expose your eyes to would it be the kind of stuff that you'd be comfortable going, hey, Jesus, let's check this out together. Or would it be something that all of a sudden makes you feel a little nervous and squirm? I'm not sure Jesus would be real happy about that. Well, maybe that's why you're not experiencing a worship of Christ because you're trying to keep him out of every area of your life and only have him around when you feel comfortable having him around. You can experience worship that way, but it won't be an intimate, close walk. You need to invite Jesus into area, area, every area of your life. What about activities that you do? The activities you do, the places you go, would it be a place that if Jesus were right there walking with you, you'd be like, yeah, Jesus, come on, come with me here to this place. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't go to places that don't know Jesus and all that because they need Jesus. We need the presence of Christ. But the, the question is, do you go in and do you just get caught up and swept up in everything that the culture is saying is okay to do that is really not? Or are you trying to be a positive influence on the culture? Only the power of Christ can help us truly do that. And then finally, are you ready to give witness to your recognition of Jesus? Because it really is important. And that, I believe, is, again, when we get to that point, Jesus is saying, okay, now, now you're getting it. It's not that my job is done, but I want to use you to reach other people to tell them about me, and I want them to experience me through you. Every single one of us who opens up our life to Christ, the Bible says that we're made a new creature. We become members of the body of Christ, just like we have all these different members in our body, our fingers, toes, our organs, all that. We're all different and unique, just like the different parts of our body, but each, each organ in our body serves a specific function, and so it is in the body of Christ. And this is why it's important for us, just like today, those of you that have been able to gather here in person in this place, or if you're uh, watching online, you really do need to be with some other believers because when we come together, you have the Spirit of Christ in you if you've opened your life to Christ. I have the Spirit of Christ in me. And when we come together, there's this unique spiritual chemistry, so to speak, that happens, this unique spiritual connection where we begin to experience Christ through each other. I pray that God uses me to be a blessing to you, but, but I tell you, you all are such a blessing to me. I mean, just even right now, looking out and seeing your faces and your presence here is encouraging to me in my spirit. So there is this dynamic that happens again 
when we gather together to honor Christ and to learn about Him and to be on this journey just like Cleopas was, that Jesus shows up and He teaches us and He challenges us and He moves and He works. So I hope that today, as a result of this message and our time together, maybe you'll go away and think, you know what? Yeah, Jesus, I think I recognized you there in that service today or in our time together. And it would be a blessing to you. Would you stand and let's pray. Let's talk to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are risen and uh, that as we talk to you today, we're not talking to someone in the past or a historical figure, though you're that, but you're risen and you're alive right now and you have been for all these thousands of years and you're going to be alive forevermore into all eternity. And who else could say that? Only you. And so we thank you, Jesus, for conquering death. And we, we admit to you, Lord, we, we don't have this all figured out. And uh, we don't know what eternity is going to be like, but we know that you do. We don't know what our glorified bodies are going to be like. All we see now when, when a loved one dies is we see a body in a casket or they're cremated and we just see what's left of their old body and we've not yet seen what a glorified body looks like. But Lord, we've seen evidence of your Holy Spirit working in the world and changing lives and changing spirits. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us rather than to focus on all that we don't understand because of what we're seeing that doesn't match up. Help us, Lord, to look around and see all the good things that you're doing that does match up with your word. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray that if there's anybody here or listening online that hasn't yet invited you into their home, so to speak, into their spirit, their soul, their life, that they wouldn't miss this opportunity right now because as you're getting ready to go on your way, help them, Lord, right now to say, Jesus, would, would you just come in? I want to invite you into my heart and life. And I don't understand it all, but I want you to show me. And Lord, I, I'm giving you permission to rearrange my life and, and make, it, make it better, Lord. Make it the way you want it to be. Please forgive me for my sins and where I've messed up. Thank you that you paid the price for me by your death on the cross. And thank you for the hope that you give me through your resurrection. So Lord, I receive you as my savior. And I ask that you help me to follow you now as Lord. Help me to become a disciple and help me to be on this, this journey, this path that you have me on. And help me to be able to talk to others about it as well. And Lord, for those of us that have prayed that prayer, that kind of a prayer, Please encourage us, give us courage in these days and in this society to not be afraid of what people will think, but to speak up for what we have experienced about you in our life. And we're going to trust you to use that to reach other people, uh, that their hope might be placed in you, living Lord, living hope in your name. Amen.